Want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. In an earlier episode, we talked about the need to know yourself. It's called self-awareness. And today we've got a special guest who can help shed a bit more light on why it's so important. First though, as always, I'm joined by CEO, CEO mentor and author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond, Philip Levinson. G'day. Great to be here, Michael. Thank you. Now, your book contains a forward by Wallaby's great and now businessman, Phil Kearns, and some advice he was given when he was first picked to Captain Australia back in 1992. He said he was told to be yourself and the rest will follow. It's incredible advice. It's an incredible insight and it's an extremely important part of the CEO journey. The first question you need to ask is, who are you? And I'm delighted today to be uh, here with somebody, as you say, who really knows uh, a lot about that topic, Daniel Martin from Advanced Insights. Daniel Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me, Lev. Daniel, the first question that I, I really have is what are advanced insights? Before we get into the advanced insights platform, it might be worthwhile going back to the Phil Kearns quote, knowing who you are. It's such a, it's a simple quote, but there's so much power behind that phrase. So what is the importance of knowing yourself? Uh, so Intermetrics, who are the organization that own the advanced Insights platform based on the work by Dr. Robert Hartman. They conducted a seven year study, 197,000 people, and they were a mix of uh, highly successful people in their fields, uh, hundreds of PhD students. Uh, they had people like Anthony Robbins, the, uh, the motivation expert, uh, the head of PepsiCo, a whole range of people who were successful. And they wanted to find the answer to what makes people successful, but also happiness, because I wanted to answer the question, why are some people in their professional fields happy while others who have the strengths and the, and the skills, but aren't happy? The top two attributes, number one was self-awareness. So self-awareness of what? Self-awareness of your talents, your natural talents. Number two was authenticity. So being authentic to your talents. So what I find often in this area with professionals, uh, we do the assessments, it, it pumps out 77 strengths and weaknesses. I like to say talents and non-talents. And people always go to the, the non-talents or the weaknesses. And we'll talk a little bit about your report later. And, and you went straight to the, the, the bottom 10 strengths. And you go, oh, how do I fix these strengths? Or how do I fix these weaknesses? And most people are like that because the ego always goes to, well, if that's deficient, I need to fix that. But what we've found is that the more time, money, and effort spent trying to fix those weaknesses, you get little gain. You're better off focusing on the strengths. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Very counterintuitive because you're mm. exactly right. The first thing I did when I looked at my report, apart from burst into tears, was, um, was, was to conduct a bit of a gap analysis mm. on where I was deficient. So that's what the self-awareness is about. So another way to look at it is if you look at a, in Formula One racing, we have the, the race car and the race car driver. So in the West especially, we're groomed to create new skills, strengths uh, in many different areas. So that's the quality of the race car. Um, but we're not really geared towards looking at the internal self, so our levels of self-esteem, self-belief, our role awareness in society, 
and our self-direction. Is self-awareness a relatively new phenomenon? It, it feels like maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't as, as important as it is today. Is it something that, that's really only taken off in, in, in recent years? Because clearly a lot of people identified as one of their, uh, their, their, their key attributes. Is that something that's changed over time? Yes and no. Uh, so if we can go right back to uh, ancient Greece where Socrates made the claim that the most important thing is to know thyself. And what did he mean by that? That is to use your free will as a human being and take control of your life. Um, and you have to do, and the only way you can do that is by really knowing who you are. And so we, since then, we've had the agrarian revolution, we've had the industrial revolution, and now we're full swing into the fourth revolution. And so what does that mean? We're going to have tremendous change in the next 10 years. The World Economic Forum released uh, recently the top 10 skills to be um, successful and prosperous in the 20s. And mostly it's all around uh, decision-making. And, and so with the advanced insights, which we'll come into a little bit later, and knowing who you are, we can accurately, precisely to mathematical precision measure what your unconscious decision-making styles are, what your biases are. And so what does that mean? That means that 95% of the time when we're conducting our business, whether it's personal or in the professional environment, our unconscious has already made the decision. Then we just have to behaviorally communicate that decision. So, you know, we've got CEOs that are traditionally known to value winning and, and being the best, uh, getting results, um, being dominant, and, and having that practical unconscious drive to, to getting those results. But what about the people element? Like what are they unconsciously, a lot of the time we see in, in boards where not a lot of the time, but we had an example where we had six people on a board and they all had a blind spot, which was empathy. And so they're wondering why there were so many people problems in the organization. And so once we can assess people and address that gap, then we can bring more balance to the equation. I completely agree with that. And in fact, the corollary of that is that a detriment to your career is lack of self-awareness. Mm. So in talking to headhunters and in talking to chairs of boards, and we'll come on to those further in the, in the um, podcast episodes, one of the critical things is that the CEO candidate has to demonstrate self-awareness. And one of the questions asked by uh, headhunters is, describe yourself. And they then compare that with the references that they've taken of you. Mm. And if, if there's a match, then you go through to the next round. But they found on a number of occasions that there really clearly isn't a match. You think one thing and you think that people perceive you in one way and mm. reality is, is, is very different. So that lack of self-awareness is actually an impediment to, to progress as in your career. Mm. And going back to your question, Michael, there has been a shift probably from the 1950s, Myers-Briggs became a very popular behavioral tool. It's recently been discredited in the last couple of years. And um, there's probably st still some relevance to it, but it's, it's what we call soft sciences. So um, as opposed to a hard science like physics, chemistry, those sorts of things. So it's interesting to see a lot of consulting companies worldwide now moving from the behavioral uh, side to values. And then also with the advanced insights, how your brain was wired for the first 30 years of your life. And so to put that into context, if you think of an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is behavior. So that's what we see. 
So in some people, they'll have a controlling style, they'll have a promoting style, a supporting style, or a um, analyzing style. So we see that, we can see that in people. And it used to be that people would be hired or fired based on their behavioral style. Oh, this person's going to be too cautious, they're too supporting, they're not going to be a good salesperson. Whereas we know that there's seven-eighths of the iceberg that we can't see. And so, you know, that's made up of attitudes, belief systems, values, and the advanced insight stuff, which is based on how your brain was wired, so the unconscious decision-making styles and your biases. And so it's really, really fascinating. So people, when they find out what I do, they say, oh, you're probably analyzing me right now. And I say, well... (laughs) It's pointless because I know there's so much to a person. Like you're just showing me, you know, you're, you're, you're one-eighth of who you are really. And so there's no point going that deep. If someone has been wired a particular way for the first 30 years of their life, can they be unwired? Um, and I suppose this also goes to, to something that, that you said, Lev, about um, the comparison between what people think of themselves and what other people think of them and if there isn't, isn't a match. How do people get to that point of being so unaware of themselves that there isn't a match between what uh, they see themselves and what others do? And then can that be undone? Very good question. So it wasn't until 20 years ago where, I mean, if you went back 20 years to the early 2000s or late 90s, neuroplasticity wasn't really considered a thing. Doctors said, no, your brain is hardwired. It's plastic. It's going to be like that. And it wasn't until probably 15 years ago when neuroplasticity came came in and that meant that there were a lot of science done around people who had strokes and you know when you have a stroke say it's the right hand side of your brain the left hand side you can't move but they proved that you can rewire your brain so when we're born we have billions and billions of neurons and then way more synapses that we need so by the time we're four our brain starts pruning back what we don't need and reinforcing what we do need according to the environment that we live in. So think of it this way. So if you can imagine a 10,000-word essay and you put everything down in that essay that you you want to say and then you start pruning it back as to what the thesis is or what you want to say. And so you're cutting back things, you're reinforcing points. Our brain does the same thing. So what happens? During that time, our brain is reinforcing one of three dimensions or all three dimensions. So the, the principles or the dimensions of thought are the empathy, so having a deep appreciation of other people mm-hmm. and remembering that this is all unconscious. So before it becomes conscious, how you're perceiving the world around you. Uh, practical, so in terms of the results that you want or you go for, and the systemic, so could be creating order or being able to conceptualize logic, rationality, those sorts of things. So they're the three different dimensions and some are stronger than others, which creates blind spots. So Margaret Hefferman wrote a book about blind spots and and how uh, important that is to be able to be self-aware of that. So getting back to Michael's question about can we rewire our brains? The answer is yes. However, it takes a hell of a lot of work to to do that. In order to rewire, create new neurons, you need to be very repetitive. So stroke victims, they need to create little movements, like 10,000 movements before they can actually rewire that part of the brain that will allow them to move their finger. In our modern day, not many people are willing to put that much work in. So we go back but to But also, the, just if I may, um, yes. you don't know you've got a problem because you're not self-aware enough to know that you've got a blind spot. That's right. So how, do you, how, how does that come up and hit you in the face? 
So that comes back to the report. So when we find out what those 77 talents and non-talents are, we say your bottom 10, forget about them. Like be aware if you need to make a decision around those areas, really slow down and think about it. But why not just have a, a team member or a family member who you share those weaknesses with, don't be embarrassed about them, be self-aware and authentic and go, hey, I need some help in this area. What do you think if they've got a high score in that area? It's not about trying to fix those weaknesses or rewire that type of the brain because we know it could take 10 years to get little advancement in those wiring. So why not just stick with what you've got and just enhance that? So we talked about empathy, the Mm. next practical. And we'll talk about business. Uh, So CEOs generally are driven by, you know, bottom line results. And so the corporate world is often geared towards getting results. And so who gets those jobs? people who have got that unconscious results-driven decision-making process, people who behaviorally are dominant or results-orientated, and then they're driven by their value system, which is normally a political one, which is they want to win, and also an economic one, which if you cut that person in half, they'll have return on investment in the in this, inside of them. So you combine those three areas, and you're going to get someone who's really amped up to perform in that role. Um, sometimes what happens is if they've got a low empathy rating unconsciously, they're going to not think about people. And it's not that they're a bad person. It's just not a strength of theirs. They just don't see that dimension as clearly. So the way I describe it is if you picture a highway and maybe the practical dimension is the bitumen. So a car will just fly along that easily, effortlessly, comes really easily to them. It's getting results. But then if they go off the road into the country and it's a dirt road, what happens? They slow down, it's choppy, they can't see it as clearly, and so they're not operating as well. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And then on to the third? Uh, so that's the systemic. So as, as human beings, we're always categorizing things. And so if probably the best example I can give for the three dimensions is the empathy is the heart, the Practical is the hands, so the doing, and the systemic is the head. So the analyzing, the rational, the logical, those sorts of things. The the doctor could be a good example of the heart. The captain would be the practical. So the captain has to make those hard decisions, whereas a doctor, if you're in war, they don't really care about what's going on in a war. They just want to help people and, and tend to those people. So that's the empathy. And then the systemic would be someone like uh, using a movie reference, Spock from Star Trek, you know, no emotion, logical, rational, the greater good, conceptual, all those sorts of things. So the captain really leverages both. Um, that is if the captain doesn't have equal equal clarity in those three dimensions because that's possible as well. Thank you very much. That was uh, very insightful. I've learned a huge amount. I think we've come back to you with a, with a practical application of um, advanced insights, which will be uh, a review of the assessment you did of me. So all I'd ask is that you be kind and um, hand over a box of tissues when I require it. Thank you very much, Lev. I really appreciate you having me on today. Daniel, thank you for joining Three Peaks Leadership. Daniel Martin is a transformational leadership and people insights consultant 
at IC Transformation. So that's it for this episode of Three Peaks Leadership. We've dealt with the theory behind self-awareness. Next, we're going to put it into practice. Make sure you've ordered your copy of the book, Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond from Booktopia, Dimix, Amazon, basically anywhere that, uh, that sells books. And don't forget, of course, to hit subscribe or hit follow on the podcast so that you get the weekly episode. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson.